0: Chapter 7. Within two weeks, Scarlet had become a wife, and within two months more, she was a widow. She was soon released from the bond she had assumed with so much haste and so little thought, but she was never again to know the careless freedom of her unmarried days. Widowhood had crowded closely on the hails of marriage, but to her dismay, motherhood soon followed. In after years, when she thought of those last days of April 1861, Scarlet could never quite remember details. Time and events were telescoped, jumbled together like a nightmare, and had no reality or reason. Till the day she died, there would be blank spots in her memories of those days. Especially vague were her recollections of the time between her acceptance of Charles and her wedding two weeks. So short an engagement would have been impossible in times of peace. Then there would have been a decorous interval of a year or at least six months but the south was was aflame with war. Events roared along as swiftly as if carried by a mighty wind, and the slow temple of the old days was gone. Ellen had run her hands and counseled delay, in order that Scarlet might think the matter over at greater length, but to her pleadings, Scarlet turned a sullen face and a deaf ear. Marry she would, and quickly too, within two weeks." Learning that Ashley's wedding had been moved out from the autumn to the 1st of May so he could leave with the troop as soon as it was called into service, Scarlett set the date of her wedding for the day before his. Ellen protested, but Charles pleaded with newfound eloquence, for he was impatient to be off to South Carolina to join Wade Hampton's legion, and Gerald sided with the two young people. He was excited by the war fever and pleased that Scarlett had made so good a match, "'And who was he to stand in the way of young love when there was a war?' "'Ellen, distracted, finally gave in, as other mothers throughout the South were doing. "'Their leisured world had been turned topsy-turvy, "'and their pleadings, prayers, and advice "'availed nothing against the powerful forces sweeping them along. "'The South was intoxicated with enthusiasm and excitement.' Everyone knew that one battle would end the war, and every young man hastened to enlist before the war should end, hastened to marry his sweetheart before he rushed off to Virginia to strike a blow at the Yankees. There were dozens of war weddings in the county, and there there was little time for the sorrow of parting, for everyone was too busy and excited for either solemn thoughts or tears. The ladies were making uniforms, knitting socks, and rolling bandages, and the men were drilling and shooting. Train loads of troops passed through Jonesboro daily on their way north to Atlanta and Virginia. Some detachments were gaily uniformed in the scarlets and light blues and greens of select social militia companies. Some small groups were in, hom- were in homespun and coonskin caps. Others, ununiformed, were in broadcloth and fine linen. All were half drilled, half armed wild with excitement and shouting as though en route to a picnic. The sight of these men threw the county boys into a panic for fear the war would be over before they could reach Virginia and preparations for the troops' departure were speeded. In the midst of the turmoil, preparations went forward for Scarlett's wedding and almost before she knew it, she was clad in Ellen's wedding dress and well and veil, coming down the wide stairs of Tara on her father's arm to face a house packed full with guests. Afterward, she remembered us from a dream, the hundreds of candles flaring on the walls, her mother's face loving, a little bewildered, her lips moving in a silent prayer for her daughter's happiness. Gerald flushed with brandy and pride that his daughter was marrying both money, a fine name and an old one, and Ashley standing at the bottom of the steps with Melanie's arm through his. When she saw the look on his face, she thought, this can't be real it can't be it's a nightmare i'll wake up and find it's all been a nightmare i mustn't think of it now or i'll begin screaming in front of all these people i can't think now i'll think later when i can stand it when i can't see his eyes it was all very dreamlike the passage through the aisle of smiling people charles scarlet face and stammering voice and her own replies so startlingly clear so cold and she con- and the congratulations afterward, and the kissing, and the toasts, and the dancing, all, all like a dream. Even the feel of Ashley's kiss upon her cheek, even Milly's soft whisper, now we're really and truly sisters, were unreal. Even the excitement caused by the swooning spell that overtook Charles' plump emotional aunt, Miss Pity Pat Hamilton, had the quality of a nightmare. But when the dancing and toasting were finally ended, And the dawn was coming when all the Atlanta guests who could be crowded into Tara and the overseer's house had gone to sleep on beds, sofas, and pallets on the floor, and all the neighbors had gone home to rest in preparation for the wedding at Twelve Oaks the next day. Then the dreamlike France shattered like crystal before reality. The reality was the blushing Charles emerging from her dressing room in his nightshirt, avoiding the startled look she gave him over the high pulled sheet. Of course, she knew that married people occupied the same bed, but she had never given the matter thought before. It seemed very natural in the case of her mother and father, but she had never applied it to herself. Now, for the first time since the barbecue, she realized just what she had brought on herself. The thought of this strange boy, whom she hadn't really wanted to marry, getting into bed with her. When her heart was breaking with an agony of regret at her hasty action, and the anguish of losing Ashley forever was too much to be borne, as he hesitantly approached the bed, she spoke in a hoarse whisper, "I'll scream out loud if you will come near me, I will, I will at the top of my voice, get away from me, don't you dare touch me so Charles Hamilton spent his wedding night in an armchair in the corner, not too unhappily, for he understood, or thought he understood the motherly delicacy of his bride. He was willing to wait until her fears subsided, only, only he sighed as he twisted about seeking a comfortable position, for he was going away in the war so very soon. Nightmarish as her own wedding had been, Ashley's wedding was even worse. Scarlet stood in an apple-green second-day dress in the parlor of twelve oaks amid the blaze of hundreds of, hundreds of candles, jostled by the same throng as the night before, and saw the plain little face of Melanie Hamilton glow into beauty as she became Melanie Wilkes. Now, Ashley was gone forever. Her Ashley. No, not her Ashley now. Had he ever been hers? It was all so mixed up in her mind, and her mind was so tired, so bewildered. He hadn't said he loved her, but what was it that had separated them? If she could only remember. She had stilled the county's gossiping tongue by marrying Charles, but what did that matter now? And "'It seemed so important once, but now it didn't seem important at all. "'All that mattered was Ashley. "'Now he was gone, and she was married to a man "'that she not only did not love, but for whom she had an active contempt. "'Oh, how she regretted it all. "'She had often heard of people cutting off their rose noses to spite their faces, "'but heretofore it had been only a figure of speech. "'Now she knew just what it meant.' and mingled with her frenzied desire to be free of Charles and safely back at Tara, an unmarried girl again ran the knowledge that she had only herself to blame. Ellen had tried to stop her, and she would not listen. So she danced to the night of Ashley's wedding in a daze, and said things mechanically, and smiled and irrelevantly wondered at the stupidity of people who thought her a happy bride and could not see that her heart was broken. Well, thank God they couldn't see. That night, after Mammy had helped her undress and half departed, and Charles had emerged shyly from the dressing room, wondering if he was to spend a second night in the house house hair chair, she burst into tears. She cried until Charles climbed into bed beside her and tried to comfort her, cried without words until no more tears would come, and at last she lay sobbing quietly on her shoulder. If there had been a war, there would have been a week of visiting about the county. Oh, if there had not been a war, there would have been a week of visiting about the county. With balls and barbecues in honor of the two newly married couples before they set off to Saratoga or White Sulphur for wedding trips, if there had not been a war, Scarlet would have had third-day and fourth-day and fifth-day dresses to wear to the Fontaine, Calvary, and Tarleton parties in her honor, but there was no parties now and no wedding trips. A week after the wedding, Charles left to join Colonel Wade Hampton. And two weeks later, Ashley and the troop departed, leaving the whole county bereft. In those two weeks, Scarlet never saw Ashley alone, never had a private word with him, not even at the terrible moment of parting when he stopped by Tara on his way on the train. But she had... She had... Oh on the train, did she have a private talk? Melanie bonneted and shawled today and newly acquired matronly matronly dignity hung on his arm and the entire personnel of Tara black and white turned out to see Ashley off to the war. Melanie said, you must kiss Scarlet, Ashley. She's your sister now. And Ashley bent and touched her cheek with cold lips, his face drawn and taut. Scarlet could hardly take any joy from that kiss so sullen with was her heart at Melly's prompting it melanie smothered her with an embrace at parting you will come to atlanta and visit me in aunt pity pat won't you oh darling we want to have you so much we want to know charlie's charlie's wife better five weeks passed during which letters shy ecstatic loving came from charles in south carolina Telling of his love, his plans for the future, when the war was over, his desire to become a hero for her sake, and his worship of his commander, Wade Hampton. In the seventh week, there came a telegram from Colonel Hampton himself, and then a letter, a kind, dignified letter of condolence. Charles was dead. The colonel would have wired earlier, but Charles, thinking his illness a trifling one, did not wish to have his family worried unfortunate boy had not only been treated of the love he thought he had won but also of his high hopes of honor and glory on the field of battle he had died ign- ignominiously and swiftly of pneumonia following measles without ever having gotten any closer to the yankees in the camp in south carolina in due time, Charles' son was born, and because it was fashionable to name boys after their father's commanding officers, he was called Wade Hampton Hamilton. Scarlet had wept with despair at the knowledge that she was pregnant and wished that she would dead. But she carried the child through this time in a minimum of discomfort, bore him with little distress, and recovered so quickly that Mammy told her privately it was downright common. Ladies shouldn't, should suffer more. She felt little affection for the child, hide the fact though she might. She had not wanted him, and she resented his coming, and now that he was there here, it did not seem possible that he was here, a part of her. Though she recovered physically from Wade's birth in a disgracefully short time, mentally she was dazed and sick. Her spirits drooped, despite the efforts of the whole plantation to revive them. Ellen went about with a puckered worried forehead and gerald swore more frequently than usual and f- brought her useless guests from Jonesboro. even old dr fontaine admitted he was puzzled after his tonic of sulfur molasses and herbs failed to perk her up he told ellen privately that it was a broken heart that made scarlet so irritable and listless by turns but scarlet had she wished to speak could have told them that it was a far different and more complex trouble postpartum depression that's what it was she did not tell them that it was utter boredom bewilderment of actually being a mother and most of all the absence of ashley that made her look so woebegone her boredom was acute and ever-present the county had been devoid of any entertainment or social life ever since the troop had gone away to war all the interesting young men were gone—the four Charltons, the two Calverts, the Fontaines, the Munrose, and everyone from Roseboro, Fayetteville, and Lovejoy, who was young and attractive. Only the older men, the cripples, and the women were left, and they spent their time knitting and sewing, growing more cotton and cow and corn, raising more hogs and sheep and cows for the army. There was never a sight of a real man except with when the commission commissionary troop under Sue Ellen's middle-aged beau Frank Kennedy rode by every month to collect supplies. The men in the commissary were not very exciting and the sight of Frank's timid courting annoyed her until she found it difficult to be polite to him if he and Sue Ellen could only get it over with. Even if the commissary troop had been more interesting, it would have been it would ha- not have helped the situation any she was a widow and her heart was in the grave at least everyone thought it was in the grave and expected her to act accordingly this irritated her for try as she would she could not recall any nothing about oh no wait she could recall nothing about charles except the dying calf um a dying calf look on his face when she told him she would marry him and even that picture was fading but she was a widow and she had to watch her behavior Not for her th- not for her the pleasures of unmarried girls she had to be grave and aloof ellen had stressed this at great length after catching frank's lieutenant swinging scarlet to the garden swing and making her squeal with laughter deeply distressed ellen had told her how easily a widow might get herself talked about the conduct of a widow must be twice as sec- circumspect as that of a matron and god only knows thought scarlet listening obediently to her mother's soft voice matrons never have any fun at all so widows might as well be dead widow had to wear hideous black dresses without even a touch of braid to enliven them no flower or ribbon or lace or even jewelry except onyx mourning brooches or neck laces necklaces made from the deceased hair, and the black crepe veil on her bonnet had to reach to her knees, and only after three years of widowhood could it be shortened to shoulder length. Widows could never chatter vivaciously or laugh aloud, even when they smiled, it must be a sad, tragic smile, and most dreadful of all, they could in no way indicate any interest in the company of gentlemen. And should a gentleman be so ill-bred as to indicate an interest in her, she must freeze him with a dignified but well-chosen reference to her dead husband. Oh yes, thought Scarlet. Drearily, some widows do remarry eventually when they are old and stingy, though heaven knows how they manage it with their neighbors watching, and then it's generally to some desperate old widower with a large plantation and a dozen children. Marriage was <sighs> marriage was bad enough, but to be widowed, oh then life was over forever. How stupid people were when they talked about what a comfort little Wade Hampton must be to her now that Charles was gone, how stupid of them to say that now that she had something to live for. Everyone talked about how sweet it was that she had his posthumous token of her love, and she naturally did not disabuse their minds. But that thought was farthest from her mind. She had very little interest in Wade, and sometimes it was difficult to remember that he was actually hers. Every morning, she woke up, and for a drowsy moment, she was scarlet her hair again. And the sun was bright, and the magnolia outside her window, and the mockers were singing, and the sweet smell of frying bacon was stealing to her nostrils. She was carefree and young again. Then she heard the fretful hungry wail, and always... Always there was a startled moment when she thought, why, there's a baby in the house. Then she remembered that it was her baby. It was all very bewildering. And Ashley, almost of all Ashley, for the first time in her life, she hated Tara, hated the long red road that led down the hill to the river, hated the red fields with springing green cotton, every foot of ground, every tree and brook, every lane and bridle path reminded her of him he belonged to another woman and he had gone to the war but his ghost still haunted the roads in the twilight still smiled at her from drowsy gray eyes in the shadows of the porch she never heard the sound of hooves coming up the river road from 12 oaks that for a sweet moment she did not think ashley she hated 12 oaks now and once she had not loved it she hated it but she was drawn there so she could hear John Wilkes and the girls talk about him, hear them read his letter from Virginia. They hurt her, but she had to hear them. She disliked her stiff necked India and foolish prattling honey and knew they disliked her equally, but she could not stay away from them. And every time she came home from 12 oaks, she lay down on her beds morosely and refused to get up for supper. It was this refusal of food that worried Ellen and Mammy more than anything else. Mammy brought up tempting trays, insinuating that now she was a widow she might eat as much as she pleased, but scarlet had no appetite when Dr. Fontaine told Ellen gravely that heartbreak infrequently led to the decline and women pined away into their grave. Ellen went white for that fear was what she had carried in her heart. isn't there um isn't there anything you can do, doctor? A change of scene will be the best thing in the world for her. Said the doctor, only too anxious to be rid of the unsatisfactory patient. So Scarlett, enthusiastic, went off with her child, first to visit her O'Hara and Robillard relatives in Savannah, and then to Ellen's sisters, Paulina, Lynn, and Lula in Charleston. But she was back at Tara a month before Ellen expected her, with no explanation of her return. They had been kind in Savannah, but James and Andrew. And their wives were old and content to sit quietly and talk of a past in which Scarlet had no interest. It was the same with the robelards Charleston was terrible. Scarlet thought. Aunt Pauline and her husband, a little old man with a formal, brittle courtesy and the absent air of one living in an older age, lived on a plantation on the river, far more isolated than Tara. Their nearest neighbor was twenty miles away by dark roads through still jungles of cypress, swamp, and oak. The live oaks with their waving curtains of ge- gray moss gave Scarlet the creeps and always brought to her mind Gerald's stories of Irish ghosts roaming in simmering gray mists. There was nothing to do but knit all day and at night listen to Uncle Carrie read aloud from the improving works of Mr. Lytton. Bull- 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 Eulalie, hidden behind a high-walled garden in a great house on the Battery in Charleston, was no more entertaining. Scarlet, accustomed to wide vistas of rolling red hills, felt that she was in prison. There was more social life here than at Aunt Pauline's, but Scarlet did not like the people who called, with their airs and their traditions and their emphasis on family, she knew very well they all thought she was a child of misalliance and wondered how a Robillard ever married a newly come Irishman. Scarlet felt that Aunt Eluali Ull- Ull- oh. Ull- apologized for her behind her back. This aroused her temper, for she cared no more about family than her father. She was proud of Gerald. Um, gerald and what he was had accomplished unaided except by his shrewd irish brain and the charlestonians took so much upon themselves about fort Sumner. good heavens didn't they realize that it had they hadn't been silly enough to fire the shot that started the war some other fools would have done it accustomed to the brisk voices of upland georgia the drawing flat voices of the low country seemed affected to her she thought it was, she thought if she ever sp- again heard voices that said palms and palms and who's and hosts and won't, oh, wait, for, not, she thought it was ever again heard voices that said pa's for palms and who's for house and won't for won't and ma's and pa for ma and pa, she would scream. It irritated her so much that during one forward call, she a pet upped. Gerald's broke to her aunt's distress. Then she went back to Tara. Better to be tormented with memories of Ashley than Charleston accents. <laughs> Ellen, busy night and day, Doubling the productiveness of Tara to aid in the Confederacy was terrified when her eldest daughter came home from Charleston, thin, white, and sharp tongued. She had known heartbreak herself, and to think of some way to lessen Scarlett's distress, Charles' aunt, Miss Pettipat Hamilton, had written her several times, urging her to permit Scarlett to come to Atlanta for a long visit, and now for the first time Ellen considered it seriously. She and Melanie were alone in the big house and without male protection, wrote Miss Pettipat. Now that dear Charles has gone, of course, there is my brother Henry, but he does not make his home with us. But perhaps Scarlett has. I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just going to talk about myself. But perhaps Scarlett. Wait, where are they? Okay. There is my brother Henry, and he, but he does not make his home with us. Perhaps Scarlett has told you of Henry. Delicacy forbids my putting more concerning him on paper. Molly and I would feel so much easier and safer. Or Melly, not Molly. Melly and I would feel so much easier and safer if Scarlet were with us. Three lonely women are better than two, and perhaps dear Scarlet could find some ease for her sorrow, as Melly is doing, by nursing our brave boys in the hospitals here. And of course, Melly and I are longing to see the dear baby. So Scarlet's trunk was packed again, with her morning clothes, and off she went to Atlanta with Wade Hampton and his nurse, Prissy a head full of abnomissions as to her conduct from Ellen and Mammy, and a $100 in confederate bills from Gerald. She did not especially want to go to Atlanta. She thought on pity the silliest of old ladies, and the very idea of living under the calm, same roof with Ashler's life was abhorrent. But the county, with its memories, was impossible now, and any change was welcome.